to say thank you. First Corinthians chapter 15, uh, verse 47. Verse 47. Here's what the word of the Lord says in the New King James Version. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 47. The first man was of earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. And as was the man of, the, of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. Everybody say, that's me. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Verse 50, now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. I want to minister on those words today. We shall be changed. Would you lift up your hands toward heaven right now and call upon the Spirit of the Lord to open your heart, to give your ears to hear. Lord, I pray that you would do a mighty work in our midst today. Lord, we call upon your Spirit to do a direct work in our lives. Lord, we want to be sensitive to what you want to do and what your desire is in the Spirit today. Lord, I pray that every heart would be open, that every ear would be unstopped. Lord, that you would help us to have revelation of what you want to impart into our lives today. Encourage us and build us up. And Lord, I pray that somebody, somebody would receive the call of the Holy Ghost right now and hear the call of Jesus that you're calling people into relationship with you. Lord, even those that have been living for you for many years, help us to hear the call of the Spirit that draws us closer to you than we've ever been. And Lord, I pray that you would do it for your glory in the mighty name of Jesus. Say that name, Jesus. And the church said, amen. You may be seated. The writers of the New Testament say it in many different ways. One writer said it like this, that which is born of the spirit is spirit. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. Another writer recorded the same sentiment, and he said, to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. There comes a time whenever we are sitting in the presence of the Lord with our brothers and sisters that we need to suspend our bias against ourselves. We need to take an honest approach to topics like we're talking about this morning. We have to honestly assess where each and every one of us are. We need to make sure that we're doing everything possible to hear the word of the Lord with fresh ears and to see it with fresh eyes. I don't ever want my spiritual senses to be so dulled that I ever reach the place where I think that the word of the Lord is not for me. That's right. Amen. We never outgrow the preaching and the teaching of God's word. We never grow beyond the call of the Spirit to draw even closer to our Lord and Master Jesus Christ. Amen. Every one of us is on a journey today. We're on a journey. We're on a path of change. You've heard me say it before that 
what the Lord does in us and through us and what he makes us to be, how he's forming us, has so much to do with worship. You've heard me say it in so many words before that what we worship is what we become like. What we direct our attention and our worship and our praise and our adoration toward, we start to take on the likeness of that thing. It's why the scripture says in Romans, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Be transformed to be like him. It has to do with our affections. (coughs) It has to do with what we're directing our worship toward. What you worship, you become like. And in that sense, every single one of us here today is changing. We're changing because every single one of us was created by God as a worshiper. There is a component of our humanity that is placed there by our creator that makes us a worshiper by nature. It's not something we can expel from our nature. It's not something that we can just allow to lay dormant. We can try, but we would be denying that the Lord has made us as creatures to worship. It's part of our fundamental nature. It's who we are. It cannot be denied. It cannot be sidestepped. Can I present to you today that you are worshiping something? You are worshiping something. That's why I said there's times when even we who have lived for God for a while... We have to suspend our bias toward ourselves. And we have to take a fresh and honest look at our hearts and our lives and ask ourselves, Lord, what am I worshiping? It is a worthwhile question to ask because there is no question that is more tied to who you are becoming than what are you worshiping. You see it in Scripture when the Israelites... They reached a point where they were in the wilderness. And the Lord was doing a mighty work among them. And Moses was up on top of Mount Sinai. And while he was up there, they fashioned a golden calf. And they began to worship this golden calf instead of God. And after they worshiped that golden calf, the language that God and that Moses uses to describe those people changes. Now all of a sudden, and this sounds funny, but this just paints the picture of the reality that I'm presenting today about worship. When Moses and God would talk about the people of Israel, even after that generation had passed, even into the rest of the Old Testament, the people of Israel are still given those adjectives like stubborn, stiff-necked, like cattle language about them. There was something about that golden calf. There was something about the object of their worship that got impressed into who they were. It became part of who they were as a person, as a people. What we worship and who we worship matters. It changes our identity. It will conform us. It will transform us. In a real sense, we are all presented with two directions that we can grow. We can either grow toward the first man, Adam, and we can become even more entrenched in the sin and the rebellion 
that they ushered into the world when they sinned in the Garden of Eden. He is the earthly man. And we can, eat, we can, we can identify with him and we can grow that direction. Or we can grow toward Jesus, who is that heavenly man. Who is that heavenly man? Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7 reminds us of where the first man, Adam, came from. It says this, And the Lord formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Adam was the prototype of an earthly man. There are two components of who we are as a person. There's the material and the immaterial. There's the part, Brother Billy, that we can touch and feel, and there's the part that's invisible, but we know it's there. It's the spirit. It's the soul of a man. It's the, it's the immaterial part. And Adam was the perfect prototype of the material man, the man of earth. There was nothing wrong with Adam whenever he was formed. He was formed in perfection by the very hands of of God. But then sin entered in and corrupted Adam and his entire lineage. Romans chapter 5 summarizes for us what happened. It says that death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sin wasn't exactly like Adam's sin. And that Adam was a type of the man who was to come. I'm here to tell you today that no matter what label the world has put on you, you can change. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, and he prophesied over those who would walk in the Spirit and be born again of the water and of the Spirit into the kingdom of God, that we would be changed. Adam, even in his perfection before sin, was not everything that God envisioned for humanity to be. He had all of the potential in store, but he hadn't developed in every way into the type of human being that God originally had in mind for even Adam to become because he was the prototype for the earthly man, the material man. But God, before sin entered the picture, had a vision for Adam and Eve. And God was going to grow them into the fullness of the stature of not just the earthly man, but the spiritual man. God had a vision for Adam. God had a vision for Eve that there was going to be a spiritual development that took place. God had a vision for your life. He has a vision for your life, brother or sister. It doesn't matter what your walk of life is or what your background is. You are created in the very image of God, just like Adam and Eve were. And although you, like they, have been corrupted by sin, God has a vision for your life. God has a purpose for your life. God is reaching and he is calling for every single individual on this earth. He's not willing that any, that any should perish, but that all should repent and turn to him. We shall be changed. Turn your attention now away from Adam to Jesus. Jesus is clearly identified in Scripture as the heavenly man. 
Ever since sin entered the picture in the Garden of Eden, there's been a distinction between the earthly and the heavenly. No longer could these two things coexist. No longer could these two things walk together in the cool of the day in perfect unity and communion with one another. They couldn't associate like they had been before. In fact, Scripture will testify and tell us that when sin entered the picture, there was a wedge that was driven between man and God, between the earthly and the heavenly. And these things even became opposed to one another. But there was one who was prophesied before they even left that garden that day who would come and he would be Emmanuel, God with us. There would be one who would bridge that gap that seemed insurmountable. These two things couldn't mix anymore, but there would be one who would come who would do the seemingly impossible. Matthew chapter 1 tells us that the birth of Jesus Christ took place like this, that after his mother Mary was engaged to Joseph, before they came together as husband and wife, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. God put a child inside of her that was going to be different than any other human being who had walked the face of the earth. It wasn't going to be an earthly man. It was going to be the prototype, the perfect man, the heavenly spiritual man. He was going to be Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus Christ was and continues to be to this very moment the perfect human being. He has our nature exactly like us as a human being, but yet he is without sin. Our life is in the process of being conformed to him. That's the call of the spirit. We say not to be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. The call of the Holy Ghost in these last days is to grow toward Jesus. Someone once called it a long obedience in the same direction. If I were to put it in just one word, it would be Jesus is calling us to be disciples of his. To look at his model and his example of what it is to be the heavenly man. And he gives us a promise. He says we're being transformed into his likeness so long as we are following in his steps. Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians, says we're being transformed. We're being changed from glory to glory, from faith to to faith. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And the Lord is that Spirit. The one that we're following after is the very Spirit of God. And He is calling us not back toward the perfection of an Adam who was perfect in every way in a material sense, but had development to happen in a spiritual sense. He's calling us to something even better. He's pointing us even to Himself in Christ Jesus and saying, I have given you the perfect example to follow and you are able I'm putting my spirit inside of you to empower you so that you can follow after me in my steps 
Jesus exalts our nature, that part of us that was right at creation before sin entered the picture, that material side of who we are. When we start to follow after Jesus, he exalts that nature, and suddenly you're elevated to the place where you can be the person that God designed for you to be. How does it happen, Brother Dustin? I want to submit to you today something that may be controversial in our day, but it only happens in Jesus Christ. There is no other way to be saved except to respond to the call of Jesus Christ, to be born again into his kingdom of the water and of the spirit and to follow in his steps. It is the only way to heaven. It is the only way to be saved. Only when you follow after Jesus can you claim that promise that Paul wrote to the Corinthians. He said it twice. He says, we shall all be changed. What a glorious promise that is. But I need to draw a clear line this morning because I don't want to be confusing or disingenuous. Only when we have a living and active relationship with Jesus Christ, can we claim that promise? He's the one that's going to make it possible. He's the one that we have to be growing toward. We need to do a daily inventory. That's why I asked. That's why I started by saying we have to check our bias at the door. We're all predisposed to favor ourselves. Let me say it another way. It's very easy for us to call out everything going on in everyone else's life and very easy for us to justify our own selves. We've got to to slow down long enough to recognize that that really is the case for every single one of us, and we've got to find a way to dial that down enough to where we can get a clear vision of where we are in our relationship with God. We cannot put our relationship with God on autopilot. We cannot put our relationship with God on cruise control. That's what revival, we just came out of a a series of services for revival. That's what revival is all about. There's times when we need to get a fresh revelation of everything that it means to follow after Jesus. We need to have a jolt to our system. We need to make sure that we're looking at things clear-eyed and that we have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying because time is drawing to a close and this world is going to wrap up and Jesus is going to sound that trumpet and the church is going to be caught away and it's going to be over. And he's going to return for those who have a living and active relationship with him. Not a history with him, but a living and active relationship with him in that very moment. And if you are found among those, the scriptures say that we have a hope. We shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, we shall be changed. Everything that's wrong about this world is going to be changed. Everything that hurts in your body is going to be changed. Everything that you battle in your mind is going to be changed. All the brokenness around you that you pick up on, it's going to be changed. It's going to be changed. If you want to know what I believe about heaven, 
One of the most important components is to understand about what's going to happen with our bodies. That's what Paul is writing about in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He sim- and, and I'll summarize, you can read the whole chapter for yourself, but I'll summarize it as best I can by simply saying this. Believer, your story is not over at death. There is a, there is a resurrection. And it is going to be a bodily resurrection. There is a material and an immaterial side to us. And while the material side will fade away one day, there is a resurrection day coming where God is going to reconstitute everything about your physical being. And you're going to have a material side of who you are to combine with that immaterial soul or spirit that God has given you. (coughs) I know there's going to be a physical resurrection. One, because Paul says it. And I believe it. But secondly, I know for a fact that when God created Adam and Eve in that garden, before sin entered the picture, he said it was good. He said it was good. Very good, in fact, is what he said about Adam and Eve. He said it was very good, and I've never known God to permanently do away with something that is very good. He's going to restore the material side of who we are. If you want to know more about what that's going to be like, the Bible doesn't give us a whole lot of answers, but you can look at the resurrected Jesus Christ. He walked around in a glorified body. It did some things that our bodies right now won't do. But one day, we're going to be changed, and we're going to get a new body, and there's going to be some new things that start to happen, and there's going to be a new creation, and a new heavens, and a new earth, and a new Jerusalem, and all things are going to be made new. There's people in this world, the majority of the world, they live as those who have no hope, but we have a great hope. We have a great hope. We have a great hope. There was a time in the book of Acts where Paul was conversing with King Agrippa. And one of the things that Paul was bringing up to him was this resurrection that we're talking about right now, our great hope. And in Acts chapter 26, Paul must have read the nonverbal response of King Agrippa. And Paul said, why should it be thought incredible by you that God raises the dead? Paul wrote, In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 44, just prior to the passage we read together a little while back, he said, it is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, then there is also a spiritual body. Can I tell you what that means? It means that we're going to be given a body that is accommodated to the spiritual realm. There's something about our, our natural body in this life that is broken and corrupted. And it is not fully fit to engage with, spirit, with spiritual things to the degree that God wants us to. We battle against it. We battle against it, don't we? We battle against it. And we can engage in spiritual things. And there's ways in which we can... We can be partakers of the glory that is to come. But there is coming a day when God is going to give the saints a body, a spiritual body. You're made up of that material and that immaterial part, that earthly and that heavenly part. And right now we've got a capacity 
for earthly things, not sinful things. I'm just talking about earthly things. We're able to do things physically, Brother Brian. We're able to do things in an earthly sense because we still have a lot of our powers to do that sort of thing. And we have a capacity for heavenly things. And the tragedy of what happened in the Garden of Eden when sin entered the picture is that sin crippled and stunted those abilities of the heavenly man that God had placed a potential in them for. It stunted it, and we can only press so far in this life, but there's coming a day, he says, when we're going to be changed. We're going to receive a new material body that will accommodate everything that God wants us to participate in. Brother Turner, those limitations that we have, those things that we can't do, those things, brothers and sisters, that maybe seem like they're out of reach because of our brokenness, because of our corruption, God is going to do something new in us. I'm looking forward to that day because that day I'm going to get to experience him in all of his fullness. In that day, I'm going to be able to do his will fully and perfectly just like Jesus did because I'm being made into the image of that heavenly man. Philippians chapter 3 says it like this. He says, our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by a power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Brothers and sisters, there's coming a day when everything's going to be under our feet. I know we struggle with things, and I know there's, it seems like playing spiritual whack-a-mole some days because you're trying to keep things flying in formation, and you're trying to battle against the flesh, and you're trying to battle against temptation, and you're trying to come up against things that you encounter in the world. But brothers and sisters, there's coming a day when all things are going to be permanently placed under our feet. Talking about being changed being changed. Job, in the middle of all of his sufferings in the book of Job, said, even after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. There's going to be something different about that body, but that's the body in which we're going to see Jesus. The psalmist wrote of the same sentiment in Psalm 17. He says, as for me, as for me, I will behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I'll be satisfied in your presence. Let me join my voice with the voice of the Apostle Paul and tell you, let there be no confusion. Let there be no despair today. We shall be changed. We shall be changed. We shall be changed. I know sometimes it's easy to get locked into what's going on in our world and we've got obligations and we've got responsibilities and we've got damage control to do and we've got bills to pay and we've got life to handle, but there's coming a day that we need to keep our eye on because all of that stuff is going to pass away. Every disease, every limitation, every bit of brokenness, every bit of heartache, every bit of loneliness, every bit of despair, all the depression, all the anxiety all of the worry, and we shall be changed. 
I hope I'm whetting your appetite for heaven right now because there's coming a day, brother. If we can't get excited, I said it a week or two ago, everybody that goes to heaven is going to be there because they wanted to be there. Everybody that experiences the change that I'm preaching about this morning is going to experience that change because they wanted to experience that change. They weren't satisfied with the things of this world. That's why the Apostle John was careful to write to us and say, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Because he knew if we developed, if the people of God developed a love for the world and the things that are in the world, we were going to navigate ourselves clear out of a promise like this. We were going to gravitate towards that earthly man. We were going to gravitate back towards that. We were going to tunnel ourselves even deeper into the rebellion that our ancestors represent. And we weren't going to find our direction in Christ. We shall be changed. Can I turn it and make it personal today? You can be changed. The adversary would love to convince you that this is just the way it has to be. That the way it is right now is just the way that it has to be and it's the way it's always going to be. The adversary would love nothing more than to say that and to speak that over your life and to get you to buy into that lie of his. He would try to convince you that there is no hope, but Jesus, the heavenly man, gives us hope. If you're not satisfied with the way life is going or how your world looks, if the outlook currently looks a little bleak and you're not sure what your direction in life is, there's a whole other story that's still waiting to be written about you. The master has a pen and ink and he's going to start writing that story at any moment. One day we will see Jesus. One day we'll see him. Have you ever pondered that? We talk about him a lot. We read about him a lot. We pray a lot. One day we're going to see him. We're going to see him. We're not going to see him the way that you see a parade on TV. You're going to see him the way that you see a hurricane when you fly into the eye of the storm. There's going to be an experience in his pre- There's going to be a firsthand encounter. That's right. I believe we're going to be able to reach out, Sister Tanya. We're going to be able to touch those nail scars in his hands. I believe he's, we're going to be able to see the place where he was pierced on his side. I think we're going to be able to see, Brother Billy, I think we're going to be able to see the nail holes in his feet. I think you might see some of the scars where they pressed that crown of thorns into his head. We're going to see him. We're going to see him. That's why the Apostle John wrote one of my favorite verses in the Bible. He said, Beloved, now we are the children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Before you can experience the change of your material body on that day, before you can experience all the change that this gospel promises you and me, you first have to be born again in the spirit. 
in the immaterial today. It's why the Apostle John, he says, beloved, now we are the children of God. There's something, we don't have to wait until heaven to experience something from heaven. He says, beloved, we are now the children of God. Now, now right now, right now you are a child of God. If you've been born of the water and of the Spirit, you are a child, a son of God. Can I read to you from Romans chapter 8, one of the best chapters in the whole Bible? Romans chapter 8 says this, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, who are the called according to His purpose, for whom He foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might that he might be the firstborn among <coughs> that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Let me explain what that means, and then I'll, I've got another verse I'm going to read. What Jesus is, God set him there as an example, so that he could be the firstborn among many brethren. That's you and me. Because salvation is about being conformed to him. Being conformed to him. And it says, moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And whom he justified, he also glorified. When you're called, it's when you, it's happening, it's happening in here today. There's a call. Yes. There's a call today. And when you're called, it's when you, when you pick up on God drawing you into a relationship with Him. If you've never been born again of the water and of the Spirit, that's what's happening right now. He's calling you because that's the first step. That's, what's being, that's what it means to be spiritually born again. And when that happens, there's something that takes place, and it's called being justified. And without going too long on it, it simply means this. You're not innocent, but God legally calls you innocent. And when the judge says that you're innocent, the facts really don't matter anymore. The track record really doesn't matter anymore. Justification is a legal term, and it means that when you've been born again, then all the... Get this. <laughs> this is the way it happens. All of a sudden, the criminal court against you becomes the adoption court. Come on. And all of a sudden, the judge isn't there to hit you and to throw the book at you for everything you've done wrong. But there's something that changes in that courtroom of heaven. And the judge now starts treating, instead of a criminal proceeding, it's an adoption proceeding. And you're brought into a family. He, he says, listen, I was going to judge you for all those things. But instead, why don't you just come home with me? Somebody, the light bulb's coming on right now. And anyone that tries to throw all that junk at you, once you're living at his house, there's a word for that. It's called condemnation. And it's not allowed to live with you anymore. Because the judge has not only declared you innocent, even though, even though I'm, not, I'm not sprouting wings, 
He's called me innocent because of my faith, because I've been born again. I've been baptized in the name of Jesus. I've been filled with the Spirit of God. I've repented and turned toward him. And the judge has declared me innocent. And then he brings me home with him, and he calls me his son. (laughs) And as powerful as that is, and as much as I hope that you feel this is an invitation into that, there's yet another thing that happens. We shall be changed. We're going to be glorified one day. It's a final change that takes place. Listen, there's some things that once the judge declares you innocent and he takes you home with him and you become his son or his daughter, you're gonna, there's some things that start to change in your life because you're filled with the Spirit. There's some changes that already ought to be taking place in our lives. Those of us among the redeemed that you know what I'm talking about and you've experienced that courtroom scene in your own life, there's some changes that already start to happen when you start living in his house. But there's coming a day when there's an ultimate change that's going to take place. Romans chapter 8 says this, But if the Spirit of Him who raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit that dwells in you. What's the key? I've preached about it about for the past month. The key, the call of the last day is to be filled with the Spirit to live in the spirit and the difference maker, the difference maker between living like the old man, like the first man and living like the second man, Christ Jesus is to be filled with the spirit, to live in the spirit because that same spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead, if it dwells in you, then when the day comes, when the Lord is going to receive us into glory. It's that same spirit that's going to glorify us, and we shall all be changed. The musicians would come. Maybe, maybe just maybe this morning, you've been able to do what, what I hoped every single one of you would be able to do today. Maybe you were able to set aside some of the biases that we all hold against ourselves, and maybe the Lord was able to give you a clear-eyed view of exactly what was going on in your life and exactly where you were with Him. And maybe today you feel the pull of heaven. You feel the pull of heaven. And there's only one appropriate way to respond to that pull today, and it's in the Spirit. In the Spirit. Stand with me if you would. There's a call of God right now. He doesn't just call particular people. He doesn't just call people that have certain things together in their life. But there's a pull of heaven today. And if you will be changed, if you will walk in all of the fullness of your eternal spiritual purpose in heaven, you have to become like unto that heavenly man, Jesus Christ. And it only happens when you have the power of His Spirit dwelling inside of you. There's some in this room that you need that courtroom scene in heaven to play out just the way that I described it. You need to play it out in your life. There's some that are battling condemnation and guilt and shame, and that shouldn't have a place in your life anymore. You can be free from that today. These altars are open right now. Every 
hand raised, every eye closed. We're going to enter into a time of response to the Lord right now because I feel like there's a hunger right now for change. I feel like there's something that's resonated in the Holy Ghost because there's somebody that's just not satisfied. You may not be in the depths of despair. You may not be in the depths in the lowest places of your life, but you're just not satisfied. You're hungry for that heavenly man. I want to invite you to come up around these altars of every saint of God, every person that's full of the Holy Ghost. If you would, take a step of faith out of where you are and let's create an atmosphere of response right now because there's heaven coming down. I said it a moment ago, Acts chapter 2 can happen today. There can be an outpouring of God's Spirit. There can be a spiritual response to what God is doing. We shall all be changed. We shall all be changed. Come on, right now, every person, man and woman, young and old, heaven is pulling right now. Heaven is pulling right now. This isn't the end. Don't buy into the lie of the adversary that says that this is just the way that it has to be. There's nothing that could be further from the truth. There's an offer extended from heaven right now where the heavenly man is reaching out unto you. He's saying, come unto me. Don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed into my image. Come on, we can't respond any other way right now except in the spirit. So if you're